I want to say hello. It has been a month since I have been here on a Sabbath with you all. I have missed you, and it's good to be back. I don't know how much you've missed me, and that's okay. Right now I get to say I've missed you. Right now I get to express my happiness to be back here at the Ringgold Seventh-day Adventist Church, where we as a church family, that's what I have come to call us regularly because I mean it and I believe it, thank you, Uh, where we as a church family can open up the Word of God, where we can encourage and love one another, and it's good to be a part of that after a month's hiatus. My month hiatus has been because of a whirlwind of activity uh, between camp meeting and family vacation and then NAD pastor meetings and other things. It's kept me away. In that month, we have had several exciting things happen. Our church has had a general conference session that was delayed for two years due to COVID. And now whatever happened at that has a three-year lifespan because they're going to get back on their normal five-year schedule. Um, In case y'all didn't know, most of the officers um, at our general conference, the incumbents got voted back in. There were a couple of new new faces. Uh, You can find it online. I encourage you to do that. Uh, Be aware of what our world church is doing. Because, yes, our greatest amount of impact and, yes, our greatest amount of attention is paid here in the local area, it is good to know that we are part of a worldwide movement spreading the gospel to every corner imaginable on this green earth. I'm glad to know that I'm a part of something bigger than me that we contribute to, that we support, that we pray for, because there are men and women in countries all around the world that need our prayers, that are doing in their local corner what we are doing here in Ringgold. And I praise God for that. We are not just isolated islands when it comes to his church. Additionally, Uh, We had, just this past week, I went to the North American Division pastors' meetings, and so that's very enjoyable. It's a way for us to get a little extra training. It's a way for us to meet some of our fellow colleagues in ministry, and and it's, it's good for us to kind of be revitalized a little bit. So I had a good time with it, but it is... Uh, I am glad to be back home. I had the benefit of, of having it be in Lexington, Kentucky, which is where we moved from, so I didn't have the hassle of finding a hotel. I could stay with my brother. And so that's always good when you can stay with family instead of just with a, with a bunch of strangers in some, some big hotel that you don't actually care for. So I want to turn to today's topic at hand, which if you'll notice by the sermon title is The Holy Spirit Forever Promised forever present. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you that without both of those things, we could not even begin our journey towards you, away from sin and into your loving arms. So thank you for being the author of our faith. And now as we look into your word, I pray that we find that you are also the finisher that which you have promised is with us forever and ever, all the way to the end of the ages. This we pray in your name. Amen and amen. We are, we are in the midst of preparing for a spiritual gifts Sabbath, as has already been noted. 
We have now had two sermons on the Holy Spirit, one focusing on Pentecost, and one last week? Last week, I believe, was on the Holy Spirit and Philip and his daughters. Uh, We have been looking at the need for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have been looking at the want for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have been looking at some of what we can expect or see and what is really in your life when the Holy Spirit is there. I really want to encourage you to to be here on July 9. Uh, E.W. Dempsey from the conference is going to be present. He's going to be our guest speaker. It'll be two parts, a sermon and an afternoon seminar on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Each one of you has a gift. You just may not know it. You may have more than one. You may not know how to identify it. You may not know uh, how it could be affirmed or put to good use. That's July 9. I'm going to have something to, to hand out for you in preparation for that. But before then, I want to talk about the presentness of the Holy Spirit. Why do we need to talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit was promised and is present? As I talk to others, as I, as I listen, as I have these conversations, not only with Adventists, but also with other uh, denominations in our, in our Christian fellowship, I have come to realize that amongst several opinions about the Holy Spirit, two kind of come forward. One is that the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in his fullest sense was realized in the apostolic era right after Christ's ascension at Pentecost for the establishment of the Christian church. And once the Christian church was established and spread like wildfire, then some aspects of the Holy Spirit were no longer needed. It seems that those aspects of the Holy Spirit that are no longer needed tend to fall on the more miraculous ends of it. Healings, prophecies, tongues, etc. That the administrative aspects of the Holy Spirit are still present. So in other words... Probably well-intended Christians have said the workings of the Holy Spirit in its, in its fullest capacity was then, but I've determined that some of it is not present today. And to claim otherwise means that you're claiming something not of the Holy Spirit. I think we should hesitate on that as we are about to see. Two, what I find is that in Adventism in particular, there is this idea that God's grace and Christ's atonement and the gifting of the Holy Spirit gets us to a point. And then we must stand before God without a mediator, without the Holy Spirit, on our own, and we finish the work. Uh, There is an entire theology built around, and that's in a nutshell, it's more complicated than that, but there is an entire theology built around the fact that the last generation on earth, those prepared for translation, will be struggling under their own mightiness, and then they will welcome Christ in the clouds. I would propose that that is also unbiblical. 
and we should shy away from those kinds of conclusions because Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith, and that's without limitation. I want to turn our attention to to the Holy Spirit. I want to turn our attention to our verse for today, and I want to look at a couple of aspects about the foreverness and why we still not only have but need the Holy Spirit. If you still have your finger in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, that is where we begin, and this is the thesis for today. John chapter 14, this is the beginning of Jesus' final dictation, his goodbye sermon, if you will. He knows that the cross is right before him. He's been standing in its shadow for some time now. He knows that he is soon to go back to his father and the apostles and and the work that he has laid the foundation for is now not that he's abandoning it, but now necessarily he's going there and there the, the, the men and the women are now to take care of it. And they might have faced that with some trepidation, which is why Jesus begins in 14 verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I think that would be good for us to remember and to keep in mind when we look at all the things crashing down around us. As we understand it, the closer we come to Christ's return, the more challenging it will get, not the smoother. So let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Jesus Christ. And if you believe in God and then you also believe in Jesus Christ and your hearts are not troubled and a peace he has given you, then you also will accept what he says beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is a building upon an addition to earlier in John where Jesus gives that new commandment. As I have loved you... So love one another. That's the new framework. We have Christ as our example. But now Christ is adding on to it. If you love me, out of you will be obedience. If you love me, you will keep the word that I have commanded you. If you love me, you won't shy away from proclaiming my name. If you love me, you will tell of the works that I have done. And you will open up the word of God. And you will will share Share with others what I have shared with you, and you will do it faithfully. You will keep my commandments, you will keep my word, and you will keep my charges. You will do that. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And then we, in verse 17, find out who that helper is. Even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you or and is in you. We start with the fact that as Jesus leaves, he is comforting his apostles and his disciples with the fact that he is not abandoning them, but rather giving them another person like him. And we see that in the word another, another helper, another counselor, 
another comforter, another advocate. That word translated helper encompasses all four of those and even a little bit more. When he says another those words, he is saying, I'm sending you another person like me because Jesus is also our helper, our counselor, our comforter, and our advocate. You can find that throughout Scripture. He is not sending another person who cannot relate to the Godhead. He is sending that third person of the Godhead. Another one like me to be with you forever. And that's that that's that nail in the theology of the limitations on the Holy Spirit. Because forever can be for eternity, but it can also be until all things are accomplished. Much like how Samuel was dedicated to the service of God forever. Well, when he died, his service ended. When we go to heaven, we might find ourselves in a different relationship with how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. But we're not there yet. And so the Holy Spirit is promised to us forever, without end, carrying us through. I can imagine that as the final plagues are falling on earth, and I can envision a time when persecution is at our doors, and it's not just a little discomfort, it's legitimate persecution. When that is going on and the world is topsy-turvy and we can see institutions crumbling and breaking and falling... And we wonder, how much longer, O oh Lord? I'm going to be grateful that the forever is literal with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to praise God that that comforter, that peace, that advocate is with me in the midst of it. And I'm not trying to stand on my own righteousness. I'm going to praise God that when he promised forever, that it is present forever. I'm going to be grateful for that. When we continue, we can see that the spirit of truth, that other helper, is promised, is promised to you and to me. He is not promised to the world. In fact, the world cannot receive him. The world doesn't know him. The world cannot understand the workings of the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus says it's because... Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. We'll see another verse in a moment for, for why that is. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You see, as you love Christ and as you follow Christ, as you submit your will to his will and to his guidance and to his leading, you have come to know Jesus and you've come to receive him. As you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's the source. That's where he comes from. That's, that's the reality of it. The spirit of truth dwells with you. And that is just another way of reemphasizing abiding, staying, living, filling, etc. It's a beautiful promise. And this is a promise that if you are if you are taking the name Christian upon your lips, this is for you. Now, why does it say that it's not for the world? Because this is the role for you and for me. Why does it say it's not for the world? Well, there is another working of the Holy Spirit. If you Maybe if you need to turn a page, John chapter 16. 
We see that rather than as a helper, the Holy Spirit has a different role. Rather than as a comforter, the Holy Spirit has a different purpose. Rather than perhaps even as an advocate, the Holy Spirit takes on another charge. John chapter 16, beginning with verse 8. Leading up to that, Jesus is simply saying, I have to go, and then the helper will come to you. If I don't go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, There is some debate over whether or not Jesus and the Holy Spirit can be present in the same place at the same time. I say yes. I I think that's certainly true. When Jesus died and then ascended, that was the catalyst for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not that they couldn't coexist in the same place. It's that when Jesus went home, that was that catalyst, that jumping point to now fully fill all of his disciples with the Holy Spirit. But what does the Holy Spirit do when he comes? When he comes, the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Note that he's convicting whom? The world. That is, in contrast, a purposeful contrast to the world cannot receive. John is drawing a distinction between the world and the Christian. Between the non-believer of Christ and the believer of Christ. So when we read that he has come into the world and he's doing these things for the world, maybe that applies to you. Maybe that applied to you. But this is the role of the Holy Spirit in a different way. One, verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. You can't receive the Holy Spirit without receiving Christ. If you are still wrapped up in sin, then you are not obedient to the will of God, which means that you do not love God. If you don't believe in Christ, if you, if you don't, this is all building on each other. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, if you are committing a sin, if you are living in sin, uh, then you have violated the commandments. But the Spirit's job is to convict the world concerning sin. Uh, I believe that the foreverness of the Holy Spirit is because there is still a sin problem in this world. And until that sin problem is fully taken care of, then the Spirit's got a job to do. I happen to think that we are at a point now when people have, they have become so comfortable with sin, either in wholly accepting it or in finding a work around so they can still have it and yet feel justified, that the Holy Spirit's job needs to continue. People are, are, are no longer sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit because they want their sin and they don't fully accept Jesus. Because yes, Jesus does love you while you are yet his enemy. That's true. He died for you while you were an enemy of God. That is true. He does not intend to leave you as an enemy. He doesn't intend to leave you in sin. 
He might love you while you're sinning, but he does not want you to remain sinning. And so that convicting of sin is to turn you around into that loving relationship with Jesus. You need to know what's going wrong in your life, and you need to turn from it. Let the Holy Spirit work on you, and when your heart is pricked about a certain something, don't scour Genesis to Revelation to figure out the half of a verse that allows you an out. Be convicted and submit to the charge of the Holy Spirit. Because concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The standard for righteousness is Christ, not you. You are convicted of sin because we actually have an example. The more you read the word of God, the more you come into a relationship with Jesus, the more you look to the cross and what it cost heaven to redeem you from sin, that's the standard for righteousness. Don't look to your favorite preacher. Don't look to the holiest elder. Don't look to the greatest humanitarian or fill in the blank. They are not your standards. Jesus Christ and his righteousness is that standard. And that's the standard that the Holy Spirit is going to bring before you. Please allow him to do so. Remember that this is the working in the world. And if this is still going on in your life, praise God that he's not done with you yet. And he's bringing you from the world and into his saving grace. But Christ is the standard. See, we don't have the benefit of the second person of the Godhead, the the Son of God, uh, the Logos made flesh, walking among us for an example. We don't have that benefit. What we have are the recordings of Scripture, and we have the Holy Spirit's presence. And so between those two, we can clearly see the example in Christ. That's the righteousness standard that we are called to. But the Spirit is not done there because we need to overcome sin. We have Christ's righteousness to look at as our example because there is a judgment. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And I like that distinction that John writes in there. Because when, even when we look at that lake of fire, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. The people that find themselves outside of the walls of the New Jerusalem, the men and the women that find themselves in that lake of fire are not there because one, God is arbitrary, that's not the case, and two, they're not even there because they themselves are the ones that it was prepared for. The people that find themselves outside of the holy city's walls are there because they have aligned themselves with the ruler of the world with the prince of darkness. You know, you and I do not come to worship because we're looking for something self-aggrandizing. You and I do not read the word of God just so we can be good humans in society. You and I read the word of God so we can be saved from sin and we can turn our back on the enemy of souls. You and I read the word of God and we are sensitive to the the pricking of the soul by the Holy Spirit 
Because we are wrestling against principalities and powers. Because God wants us to choose light and we are warring against darkness. And we forget that sometimes, I think. You see, if you find yourself in this scenario where the Holy Spirit is driving a point home, I would encourage you to fall on your knees and say, Lord, I don't want to be counted among the world, but rather among those who receive the Holy Spirit, because I have received you. As what you will regularly find and consistently see as you read through what does the Holy Spirit do, well, the Holy Spirit's job doesn't even point to himself. And it certainly doesn't point to you. Because as we see that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the Holy Spirit's job is to direct our minds to Jesus because he saves. The Holy Spirit's job, and this is is going to get around to something, the Holy Spirit's job as as our helper is not so we can go to him thinking that it's his job to serve us. That's an incorrect way of looking at helper. The Holy Spirit is not that vending machine that you put your dollar in and say, now give me a gift. That's not what the Holy Spirit's job is. The Holy Spirit's role, its purpose in our life, its purpose in your life is to bring us out of the world and towards Jesus Christ. And that's a work forever. Forever. When we look at this word helper, and that's why I added and and shared with you those additional translations, counselor and comforter and advocate and so on, is because if all we do is focus on the word helper, at least in the English to the American way of looking at English, helper is, is, well, you're here to serve me, are you not? We refer to, quote unquote, the help. They're the servants, right? They're They're the blue collar. They're the ones that maybe will leave a tip for them if they've done it the way that I want them to do it. Uh, Just just as a side note, um, uh, most servers and waiters at at, restaurants, they don't get paid minimum wage. They actually rely on I was a server once. Uh, At that time, it was $3.13 an hour. That is not minimum wage. Uh, The tips make up the difference. Um, But if we look at the Holy Spirit in that manner as if he were, quote-unquote, the help, we have it wrong. Because you see that we do not earn the, we do not, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, one, is not given to us because we've kept the commandments as if it were a quid pro quo kind of arrangement. It's not you keep the commandments, therefore God owes you the Holy Spirit, It's not even you keep the commandments and so then you can claim something from God because we can claim nothing from God. That's grace. You can't claim it. We do not earn the Holy Spirit any more than we can earn salvation. But in the process of responding to the Son of God, because we understand that obedience is even in that same way. The obedience is in response to God's grace working in our lives, not to earn the grace. It's response. 
In, res- in the process of responding to the Son of God, we discover that Jesus has already provided the divine agent for us that are still living in this world. The Holy Spirit is already there. In the process of responding to God's grace, we discover that divine agent is there ready for us, ready to come beside us, ready to gift us and fill us and fruit us. We have the fruits of the Spirit that we can look forward to. But that is a part of the process of responding to the grace of God. It's not, it's not just putting in, putting in what we want and then thinking we'll get it, just get it back. And then when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus says that he, the spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is still necessary in God's church. The Holy Spirit was promised by Christ right before his ascension with that word forever. We need the Holy Spirit. We need that convicting of sin when we find ourselves out of line. We need the drawing into Christ's righteousness. And then we need to be saved from our sins. I want to encourage you, the next step is to look at the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Because if we, again, think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are limited to an era, bygone days past, then we have imposed a limit on Christ you don't find in the Word of God. And then two, there is a purpose to those gifts. The building up of God's kingdom. The spreading of the gospel. We participate with the Holy Spirit through the various gifts in directing others to the cross and to Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. That is a wonderful engagement, and I would encourage you to come and learn more about the gifts of the Spirit, what they are. Maybe they're in your life. Maybe some don't make the list in canon, but they are still a gift. For example, singing. Singing is not listed as a gift of the Spirit in the Word of God, but I know that there are people especially gifted with song in order to lead others to Jesus Christ. I am not that, and I'm grateful for those that are. I believe that there is more to the gifts than what is recorded here, but we start with what is recorded in the Word of God. Don't limit what God wants to do in your life. Don't limit what God wants to do around the world. Don't limit what God can do if we would only allow Him, because God has forever promised, and God is forever present. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for your word. I want to thank you for the assurances that we find written in it, and I pray that we would never forget, no matter what we go through, no matter what challenges we we have to overcome, you have promised the presence of the Holy Spirit through it all. We are never abandoned. We are not alone. You have not made us orphans when you went back home, but rather you have sent another to be with us forever. We praise your name for that, and we thank you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.